My Govan and one and all, and thank you for joining us on The Literary Baptists uh, as we continue our way through uh, through J.R.R. Tolkien's Silmarillion. Um, we, uh, we got through part of the chapter in our last episode, and we're ready to finish it up now uh, and continue the, uh, the stellar discussion that, that we had rolling uh, in our last episode. So where we where we left off, um, we had seen the elves wake up on the perhaps noisy shores of of Quivianen, uh, looking up at the stars, which J.R.R. Tolkien made very uh very obvious that we do share the same sky that they saw, uh, which I think is very, very nice. Uh one thing I, I forgot to mention was um and I can't remember, maybe we touched on it before, but um you know Tolkien very uh very much wanted to make this sort of a um like an alternate history uh, a, a mythic history of Europe especially um and and later on obviously th this isn't it's not published work technically but um where he was uh, as the elves are are receding and, and the world is becoming more and more the world of men that that would continue to to transition then into modern times uh, which is kind of a kind of an interesting thing. So, you know, we're very much, uh, you know, looking into some prehistory uh, in 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 the uh, in Tolkien's in Tolkien's world, which is kind of kind of fun to think about. So it's it's not purely escapist. You can see it as a, you can read it as some sort of fun alternate history, I suppose, if you want. But that was that was a thought I've considered before. Uh, it's still you know, as a fantasy world, still somewhat grounded in, in reality, not just the Christian worldview, but, but even as old ages of our world, kind of cool. So, uh, let's talk about the Quendi. Cause I think it's at this, at this time, normally when people are reading the Silmarillion, they like their eyes start to bug out a little bit. <laughs> Because it gets a little detailed at the end of this chapter, um, uh, once once people are getting named, um, and and I I hope maybe our discussion might help uh, kind of flesh that out a little bit, um, but um, actually the so the first thing the first thing I wanted to mention was. Uh, um, Wanted to talk about where uh, now I'm trying to I'm struggling to find it in my copy, but where Arome sees the elves for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, this is probably like my favorite part. Would you like to read it, Maddie? Can you find it in your book? Sure. Um, let's see. It says, "And on a time it chanced that Arome rode eastward in his hunting, and he turned north by the shores of Helcar and passed under the shadows." of Orokarni, the mountains of the east. Then, on a sudden, Nahar set up a great neighing and stood still, and Arome wondered and sat silent, and it seemed to him that in the quiet of the land under the stars he heard afar off many voices singing. Thus it was that the Valar found at last, as it were by chance, those whom they had so long awaited, and Arome, looking upon the elves, was filled with wonder, as though they were beings sudden and marvelous and unforeseen, for so it shall ever be with the Valar. Wow. Yeah. I love I that. Love... Uh, 
as it were by chance. <laughs> like little 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 joke thrown in there because it's obviously not by chance <laughs> in any way that uh, that they were found. Um, I love well, especially because it's the time for my boy to shine. <laughs> Being Nahar, of course, and also a Rome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just love that, you know, being a, a horse person, I could totally visualize like your horse like stopping because they'll, you know, stand at attention, kind of looking. And then he called out because he knew something familiar. I mean, that's usually why why they don't neigh as often as you would think movies make them neigh about stuff. But uh I don't know. It's just a really cool visual that he Harry is just kind of doing his rounds in the woods, you know, and and then he finds he discovers them, him and his horse. Yeah, it, it's like it mentions that Arome hears the the voices, but really it's it's Nahar that does the stopping. You know, maybe Arome would have halted him, but it kind of yeah. seems like even Nahar knew what was going on. Yeah, he's he's, he's a special horse. He's like a god horse, so a heaven horse. Well, and horses can see and hear better than we can, anyways. So he he picked it up, and Arome was like, "Oh, check it out!" <laughs> but I love that note. How it's like, even though they've been waiting for them this whole time, and looking and planning and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting he finally finds them and it's it's like more amazing than he imagined and i don't know i just love that they were surprised kind of by it yeah it says it says he's filled with wonder which is kind of amazing to me because arome you know he's he's been involved with the world since since the creation of it he was involved in the creation of it and so, you know, you think about the Aino Lindale and like, wow, how how amazing and wonderful that event must have been. Um, and yet somebody who who took part in singing, uh, singing the world into existence is filled with uh, he's filled with wonder and, and looks at them as something marvelous and unforeseen. And it's just a bunch of elves. <laughs> on a, on a it's beach. almost the same reaction that um, in Lord of the Rings that Sam has when he first sees the elves as they're. As they're leaving, uh, as they're heading out, it, it's almost the same kind of thing. And like, mm -hmm. you know, we think of hobbits as being kind of lower, but mm -hmm. um, and elves yeah, being much taller too. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but he's got the same reaction. They they carry something different about them. It seems like because Melkor hates them. Um, yeah. Well, he hates them partially because he knows that his doom has a lot to do with uh, them coming. So, mm. Yeah, it's back to the doom. Yeah. It's it's been uh, <clears throat> it's been judged. What do y'all think about this uh, statement about? Um, I foreknowledge, I guess, basically is what it is. Just right there in that same passage. So, from without the world, though all things may be forth forethought in music or foreshown in vision from afar, 
To those who enter verily into Ea, each in its time shall be met at unawares as something new and unforetold. So it's like they knew mm. in, in the music and in the visions they were shown, they saw all of this. But once they entered into the world, it's like they don't remember it or it, it's all it's all brand new information as it comes along. Kind of like Ale when he created the dwarves too. Like he was approximating, like he knew something of the children and what their form might be, but like he obviously, you know, misjudged how tall elves would be. In fact, dwarves are even shorter than men. Um, and instead made made kind of his characteristics, their characteristics. Whereas, you know, the elves and, and men really don't bear like a, a particular Vala's characteristics or anything like that. They are completely unique creatures it's kind of like going and seeing something like there is a difference between looking at a picture of mona lisa or some famous painting on your computer screen versus actually going and seeing the real painting in person or building uh, i mean definitely with buildings um and then you know to go with your point there like someone who creates a rough approximation of it like if i told zach to recreate the um the mona lisa like that would be even probably worse offense intended (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea idea how good you are as an artist but and you never will (laughs) but um but seeing the real thing instead of you know it's approximation or even just the words because that's kind of i mean the song the singing it doesn't it's not the same as seeing the real thing yeah. so i, I, I kind of wondered if maybe this was some of the the roman catholic kind of view of predestination coming out like it's all foretold it's all there but you don't know it mm-hmm. once you're in it it's like you you're just it's all chance and circumstance to you and you're free in that but it's still I don't know. It's kind of weird. Well, in a sense, that's kind of our experience, anyways. You know, yeah. like we don't really know. Um, you know, leading up to Christ, all this stuff was foretold, and yet people they were waiting and they kind of honestly missed it. Um, because you know, but I think of probably the only example that I couldn't actually experience yet would be like going to heaven or something or seeing the new earth. Like we're told of what this is, like we're promised this, but it's kind of that no eyes have seen type scenario. It's promised it's going to come, but like we can't fathom really what that would be like. Or like you know the description of 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 the heaven of our heavenly bodies you know uh, it's not known what we shall be but we know that we shall be like Christ so we don't know the exact form and, and you know theologians have debated and discussed and extrapolated and exegeted about about that topic for a long time and nobody's arrived at a uh, definitive thing because i think it's it's far enough beyond something we can comprehend because uh, we are to a certain degree bound by our experience right uh, we can only compare against things we know 
um, that it's it's far enough away from us that we we have faith that that it's going to turn out uh, the way that God intended because God always gets what He intends. But as to the exact form and appearance of of what we will be in that glorified state, we really can't know, and we haven't been told. That's I mean that's part of a big thing is that like I mean God does choose to reveal things at certain times mm-hmm. and not reveal things at certain times. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. uh, you know, our, it, it may be hidden from us. We may not be able to figure out some of those questions mm-hmm. because he doesn't want us to. Yeah. Uh, point. Uh, we but have a, in, we have a way of focusing too much on the minor things and, and, <laughs> and not focusing yeah. on the major things. That's why I appreciate Ale. Because I'm very impatient, like he was. So I understand him. Create some dwarves, then. Go make your dwarves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. I I love that chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Silmarillion because it's finally something about the the Valar that that is approachable and, and understandable, and relatable. Um, because I think there's there's a bit of alley in all of us. I think uh, we all have our we have our time to be impatient and uh, do do things our own way um, and potentially make a mess, uh, make a really big mess um, that ends up ending up okay in the end, and, and we learn a lesson from it. Uh, I love that chapter. I love this chapter too, but and I love the Ina Lindelay. I love every chapter of the Silmarillion. What am I talking about? <laughs> Come on, Lee, get real. I like too that he mentions that um that the elder were stronger and greater than they have since become. So there's that notion of it's like it's that Christian. I mean, we get that from scripture, obviously, that worldview idea of that we were once better than we are now mm-hmm. which is the reverse of how the world sees it like we are more highly evolved so in a sense tolkien's kind of addressing that same concept of it was they were actually better than they are now even though there's some progress that's made in other ways i liked that note mm-hmm. yeah the elves really do get get really weakened um, I, I think that's part of the curse again, uh, of, uh, of living in, in Arda, you know, even if you are the fact that you are eternal, you know, that you're not going to die, uh, is a curse. You know, we, we talked before about, you know, the gift, the gift of men is to be able to pass out of this world and, and dwell with Iluvatar, um, in a way that elves never, never do. And uh, you can see some of that that um, what it's almost like a wasting sickness to to live an eternity in Arda, uh, and because there there are there are elves there are elves that woke up at Quivienen, whose whose children endure through uh, the end of the Third Age, um, so that is a long long time, uh, and lots of elves died in wars between that time some elves went to and, and we'll talk about it but some elves went to valinor and never came back and may may have been better off for having done so 
uh, and and so obviously they will truly be eternal. They woke up in Quivian and, and never died, never had an opportunity to die because they basically lived in heaven forever. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a really Enoch. sad reality. They're e yeah, they're Enoch. They got they got swept up, man. <laughs> yeah, that paragraph though isn't all. It's it's not entirely saying that they're worse because it does say that their beauty um, has been enriched by sorrow and wisdom. Am I reading that correctly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there is something, and I think this applies to people too. You know, when you compare, you know, the ancient people to today, we do have some kind of this. We have a better sense of sorrow, and and we've seen. You know, I wasn't around during World War II. I mean, maybe grandpa mm -hmm. was, but, um, no. but, you know, the world has seen things that are pretty bad. Um, again, war is unpleasant, uh, but so are genocides and, uh, you know, some, so many like, terrible things, pandemics. There are a lot of bad things that have happened in like the past hundred years. And, um, and we, we have just as human beings now kind of a sorrow, um, or, or just like people kind of hide it, but we do tend to have more sorrow now and, and see things in a different way than it was in the past. Mm -hmm. And even though we are weaker and probably not as great as a lot of people from the past, we do have that element that they didn't i think yeah well I, and from a biblical perspective we have more of the word of god than they ever had yeah it because yeah. yeah sorrow and wisdom so we mm -hmm. definitely have the wisdom too mm -hmm. um in that sense um yeah yeah uh, the word of god peaked in 1611 <laughs> <laughs> and it's been on a on a downward trajectory ever since <laughs> i thought you were hawaiian pigeon only <laughs> someone needs to start that page oh my gosh that'd be awesome someone already did <laughs> yeah from a military standpoint the elves obviously are are diminished uh, as the ages roll on um you know there were enough elves to fight multiple wars in the first age, take massive losses and still not be go, not go extinct. Um, there were enough elves, uh, at the end of, uh, uh, at, at the end of the second age, start of the third age to do, to have a war of last Alliance. Um, you know, by, by the end of the third age, by, by the destruction of the ring, um, all, pretty much all the elves had, had left middle earth at that point. Um, and yet, so the elves are always being talked about as very, very beautiful. And, and in a comparison with Lord of the Rings, their beauty is is basically as lore masters. There's, you know, there's a huge, um, huge stores of wisdom and experience in Rivendell and uh, in Lothlorien, which are kind of the last two great elven strongholds, uh, um, which had been in place for a long, long time at that point. Um, and so even though, you know, you're not going to raise an army out, out of Rivendell, despite what the movies say, um, or yeah, uh, Rivendell and Lothlorien, I guess, technically. But um, 
they there there's no more elf armies by the time the lord of the rings comes around it's this is uh, the age of men had come um but that the elves kind of rule the day in the in the first age and in the second age um in a in a way that they never did after that so maybe by strength of arms they were certainly diminished but having been diminished in that way i, I do think that the 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 relevance and the beauty of their songs and the tales of of uh days gone by that wisdom and perhaps sorrow uh, i think they they sing some pretty sorrowful songs as well are are definitely beautified and and made even more important i just want to say that i'm glad that galadriel swam back <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the sea is always right because of her we have Lothlorien thanks for swimming back Galadriel (laughs) and thanks to Sauron for picking her up yeah thanks to her boyfriend Sauron (laughs) kind of adds a whole new depth to Lord of the Rings now that we know that that happened Although I will say, if anybody was going to be Sauron's girlfriend, the the absolutely unhinged evil Galadriel from that show would be the perfect choice. <laughs> like, just just like out of nowhere proposing genocide. Uh, she literally touched the darkness. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think she became the darkness. <laughs> and then she'll become the greatest light. <laughs> You know, Galadriel really isn't a uh, a like a purely stellar character. You know, she she has a very troubled background. At least her family does. Um, in in some decisions that she makes that that we will cover later in in the Silmarillion. But, um, I think she she is she is the complex female character that no nobody none of these woke writers have ever been able to portray on screen whether you're talking about Marvel or or Rings of Power, these people cannot write a strong an actual strong female character who makes sense as a human being. And I, I, she's an elf. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Unless they start bringing some elves into those writers rooms, there, there's not going to be true representation of elf kind. <laughs> Shame. I can't believe they have human beings betraying an elf. <laughs> Hashtag Emmy's so human. <laughs> Oscar's so human. Cultural appropriation. <laughs> oh my gosh. Our ears are not, are not your costume. <laughs> <laughs> part of where we get some divisions in the Quendi, uh, which is kind of a, a, a collective name for all elves, because obviously we're going to start getting some divisions uh, among the elves uh, here pretty soon. Um, there are some of, of the Quendi, the, the, the congregation of elves <laughs> who are, are actually afraid of a um, mm. which as somebody who's read this, I I would actually find kind of hard to believe, because because he's actually, you know, he's he's heroic. I mean, obviously he has weapons, right? He's a hunter, but um, I've seen nothing but um, 
but good behavior out of him. Um, yeah, it, it came to pass some years ere the coming of Arome that if any of the elves strayed far abroad alone or few together, they would vanish and never return. And the Quendi said that the hunter had caught them and they were afraid. Well, there was a, there was a hunter catching them, but it, it wasn't Arome the hunter. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a it was a lie of Melkor. I, I, it's interesting to me, you know, that Melkor being being crafty as he is now that now that the uh, the children have have uh, come awake and that he hates them and, and really fears them uh, would start sowing lies to turn them against the Valar uh, that love them so much. Including in Arome being kind of foremost among them, right? Being the one who found them and discovered them. Um, and so now Melkor, in a, in a in a really nasty twist, uh, has said that the ones that disappear uh, have been taken by the hunter, uh, basically mm -hmm. slandering uh, Arome in the course of that. Real, real sneaky. Um, Here you kind of get to, again, that the kind of Garden of Eden vibe, like, Arome is kind of like the like God walking in the garden, you know, with them. They're, they have that relationship. And then yet Melkor comes in and and twists it so that they're afraid. I mean, it's not exactly mm -hmm. the same thing, but you get kind of that same pits that pits them against story. God. Yeah, that Using story flow. To, to pit them against God. Right. And to fear you don't have like the same kind of like sin, you know, that whole issue that we have with reality, but um, just that idea of, of fearing the one who loves them around, like you said, Romeo mm -hmm. loves them. And then yet they're told and then this they're deceived. I mean, that's really what it is. They're deceived and they're believing these lies. And you see so much of that in the world today, the people that are deceived and many of them are fearful of what's actually best for them. Mm -hmm. It's false yeah, teaching. So, and they see it as, as <laughs> hatred uh, rather than actually being for their good. Right. To, to go back to your point about, about Morgoth here. It's, so it says now Melkor greatly hated and feared the writing of Arome. Uh, and either he sent indeed his dark servants as writers, uh, I, I think, to uh, to try to masquerade as him, but but to be evil looking like him, or he set lying whispers abroad for the purpose that the Quendi should shun Arome if ever they should meet. And that that is so like pitch perfect for for what the world does. You know, it'll either masquerade uh as as uh wisdom or, or goodness but actually for the purpose of evil in order to make you shun the good uh or there will just be um lying whispers or or rumors or uh catchy buzz phrases in order to uh to turn you against the truth it's like when you watch a movie or a tv show and you have a christian character like you can already know he's going to be abusing people in some way, or he's going to be the murderer. If it's some kind of a murder show, <laughs> they're always bad guys. They never have any kind of depth. It's just like they pretend to be Christians and it's for money or so that they can murder or some kind of, you know, like 
sexual abuse or something like it's always the same kind of thing there's never a christian who's actually a christian Mm -hmm. um that doesn't really show up in movies uh and it's it's kind of a similar thing like it's these these things where they're trying to no i mean like we recognize that christians are sinful and that there are people who are like that or anything but once you're saved you never (laughs) sin again what are you talking oh okay my bad I need to do that then. Come on. Read a book book sometime. It's saved. Uh, But, but it does kind of, that affects your imagination. That affects what you visualize Christians as because you are, you know, uh, I guess, accepting this entertainment. You're You're being instructed to think that way. Instructed. You're being catechized. You're being catechized. By it. Uh, And so, that's kind of what's happening. We we have that now, and that's kind of what's happening to them there. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it's not defensive, it's offensive. They're making sure that when they encounter the truth, that they've already been, you know, so catechized, like that's a perfect word for it, against it, that they'll run and hide the other way. It's like cults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's how Satan works. Well, these works these elves this. that believe this were Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> Another testament of Morgoth. <laughs> <laughs> Silmaril of great price. <laughs> well, is it, is it, is it Melkor Monway's brother? Yeah. Yes. Ooh, super mm-hmm. Mormon. Tolkien yeah. came out with the Mormon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Closet Mormon. Yep. Closet Mormon. Closet Mormon Calvinist. Uh yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh <laughs> leave oh, speechless oh. now. <laughs> it's interesting. Again, just support. Uh oh, I'm just trying not to make like Mormons and Roman Catholic jokes. So I'm just gonna <laughs> We're, We're Baptists, called the okay. literary Baptists. They should be expecting this from us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. If they're offended, good. We put our label right on our forehead, like, and they That's they can fair. fire at us too. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, internet's a big place. On, on on the on the catechesis front, that you know, this has kind of been one of my uh, my bugaboo topics for a while because um, the the world is so ready to catechize our children uh uh or just you know even not even just the children honestly it's it's adults mm-hmm. as well who've never been been formed in any sort of truth so in a way you know childlike um and, and susceptible uh, to those messages and the church has been woefully unprepared for a long time and has not catechized their children because they have not themselves been catechized you know, I, I think a, a big part of that is the 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 big uh, seeker sensitive mega church movement, which is all about getting numbers, but nobody's being discipled or or informed or even hearing the gospel. Um, and you, you've got it, it. That catechesis has to start with the gospel, um, and then working out from there um, in in a way that that makes us consistent with the biblical witness and uh, obedient to scripture and. Uh, and and rooted in the local church, uh, which again is another thing that 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 mega church model isn't so good at doing. So so we've 
we've been missing those steps for a long time while the world has been getting better and better at, at putting their message forward. Um, and, uh, I, you know, that's one of the big reasons why I'm a confessional Baptist is because, you know, if you have a, a consistent, not only a consistent, uh, method of, of reading and teaching scripture, but you've got a, you've got history to be part of as well. Um, you've got a, a, a legacy to carry on, um, and resources there that, that have been shared for a long time. You know, I think, I think you stand a better chance of, of, um, of making disciples and, and, uh, and reaching the world. It doesn't sound like you've thought about that very much. Mm -hmm. I'm just winging it. We shouldn't have pizza <laughs> parties and trick people into coming for catechisms. Yeah. It's spontaneous <laughs> baptisms too. Yeah. Instead of having pizza parties and having them watch the very movies that teach them to hate Christians, which is what a lot of youth groups are based it's on. True. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, and what's so interesting and annoying is that they, the non-Christians, the other side, would label us for catechizing as we're brainwashing, we're doing all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And it's like they, they think that they're not like they think that everything they're doing is <laughs> is right and true and whatever, like if, if truth even exists in their world. But I don't know, that just it drives me nuts. I've seen so much. That's why I'm like kind of over social media right now. Just the comments that you see on Christian good godly men's posts from unbelievers. You know, it's it's like they're calling names and saying these things about Christians that they themselves are doing right there in that mm -hmm. comment. Yeah. So pure deflection. Yes. To say a related point that also brings us to a different part of the Silmarillion. There is an element in, in terms of how parents react to children in some of these kind of situations. And it's very similar to the debate that the Valar have about whether they leave the, mm. the elves mm. to evil or bring them to the safety of uh, mm. Valinor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that is a struggle that every parent has is, you know, how much do I, obviously you coddle more when they're younger and you let uh, you know you let them experience more when they're older but but how much do you allow um, them to experience be around evil uh, mm -hmm. or or uh, you know the movies that catechize them um, you know it's it's hard to find that balance and uh, Maybe we should just all go to war, but that's <laughs> and then imprison, imprison the, <laughs> uh, imprison the Hollywood, imprison Hollywood. Maybe that's the way to go. Uh, but but it is it okay, Theonomist. <laughs> hey, it's Tolkien. Tolkien uh, said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it is. It's a difficult question. It's not an easy one. Well, you got to let them exercise their free will and do what they want. Yeah, follow their heart. <laughs> yeah, follow their heart. Yeah, because it's be yourself. Yes, I love I love the storytelling just in this section because, like, we just went on this big discussion here, but he's not like preaching at you. Mm -hmm. It's just 
He's just telling you what happened in a story. And you could see, like, he doesn't have to tell you for you to see that that it's sad. It's a sad thing that they were deceived, mm-hmm. that they missed out, that they believed uh-huh. those lies. This is this is the power of it not being a a, a plain upfront allegory. Yeah, because that that is so directive. Um, and and he he ends up in in these ways saying more because he sticks to his story and not not building elements particularly to communicate this particular idea. Like we obviously know where he's going with this, but uh, it's not only is it a better. I think it's a better story for not not being so one to one about it. That works for other stories. Um, don't get me wrong, but for this, I think I think that that exact that message and these themes are are all the more powerful because um, they're nestled in that story. Well, it's sad, you know, but it's also I would say necessary that some of them were deceived and stayed behind. And, you know, you have some that are like, nope, I'm staying here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the same thing in in human history. We keep going back to the garden over and over and over again. But it's, it's it was sad. the Garden of Eden, this whole thing. Yeah, it was, it was sad what happened in the garden. Terrible, awful, but also necessary, mm-hmm. right? I mean... We don't we don't have the story play out the same way if it doesn't happen. Yeah, and it wasn't like God reacted to what happened in the garden and made a whole new plan. Like it was it was ordained right. to be this way. Right. And you have that purpose. same you have that same thing here. It was all it's all part of the music. Yeah. It's all part of the music. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's your the music is very title. thorough. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm actually I'm jotting it down right now. It's all part of the music. <laughs> I got the music in me. <laughs> um, so this is this is kind of a can of worms when it comes to uh you know Tolkien studies and, and Tolkien debates, but um there's a there's a reference in here about uh elves that are 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 snatched away and taken to Atumno, which is uh Morgoth's uh dread fortress. And um Tolkien kind of changed his mind about the the origin of orcs, but uh, at least at one point it was basically uh orcs began when uh when Morgoth uh took the, these elves and and began experimenting on them in in his fortress. Uh, I was curious if, if you any of you guys had had thought about that uh, or where you where you stood on that. He he kind of walked it back later and said basically that it was like a, a dark secret that no one really knows. But um, that that either orcs were twisted elves or that they were actually intentionally um, intentionally bred to produce the race of orcs, because after all, uh, evil doesn't create anything. It has to twist what's good. And that's why I can see why he would try to walk this back a little bit because these elves are on the receiving end of the evil, not on the doing end Mm -hmm. of it. 
and they're, you know they're with, victims with, of it not perpetrators of it yeah yeah and with like the the balrogs like they're they're part of it they're indulging in the evil these elves aren't necessarily because they've been kidnapped mm-hmm. and so i can understand why he would want to pull back on that but you know well of course bad dude he can do bad things and he can mess things up so it could be just kind of like when he was going around messing up uh Aya, you know just kind of mm-hmm. knocking out trees and things like that he could just be doing that with the elves so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the non position of just saying yeah. <laughs> I I like what he did because it's to me it's like you got kind of a total depravity, you know, version where you kind of see the two two versions of humanity, if you will, the two versions mm-hmm. of the children of Iluvatar. You've got those who have fallen and are essentially prisoners of Melkor. Um, and then corrupted, you know, to do his bidding essentially and be enemies. And, um, and then you have the true children and in a very Calvinistic sense, there is no redemption for the orcs. So Mm -hmm. you could, you know, consider those as more of like a vessels of wrath type scenario. Um, even though we were all at once totally depraved, Mm -hmm. um, and I did like the line where it says that for the orcs had life and mm-hmm. multiplied after the manner of the children of Luvatar and not that had life of its own or the semblance of life could ever milk or make since his rebellion in the uh, I knew Lindale before the beginning. So I was going to mention that. I'm glad you I'm glad you said it. Yeah, he couldn't have made anything yeah. living. And once it's they like and once they were Alley's twisted, they, they then uh, re- um you know their their kind they reproduced after their kind uh yeah um and 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 hated the master they 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 served in fear so even in making them he already in making them he made more enemies for himself not 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 actual like you know believing followers like they were just afraid of him so they just did what he said but they actually hated him they're just creatures of hate in in their heart much like him uh and not loyal to him at all. This this may be like it says here. This may be that uh the, this it may be was the vilest deed of Melkor, the most hateful to Iluvatar that mm. he would that he would twist the, his children. Well, he was the first. At least some of these, I guess, he was the only one that they would have known as a as a godlike figure, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have seen any of the other Valar. I mean, they they woke up and saw the stars, and then they were <laughs> they heard the water, and then they were kidnapped and tortured forever. Well, and I think that's just true of that image is just true of you know humanity. That I know some people try to claim that they like love Satan or whatever worship Satan. <laughs> uh, I really don't think they do though. Yeah. Like, it's just for show. I think they're lying to themselves if, if they say that. Because anytime anything truly evil happens to them, they hate it. Mm-hmm. So they can relish all they want in wickedness. But when it happens to them, they're not, they're not really enjoying it in mm-hmm. any true way. 
modern Satanism is really just kind of like a parody of religion. It's not really yeah. anything. It's it's more like a joke. It's the flying yeah. spaghetti monster, but with better costumes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this. We were talking, Maddie, you compared the orcs to basically like the reprobate. Um, what would be interesting? Mean Calvinist <laughs> over here. Good grief. <laughs> Uh, you know, seeing the the orcs as being kind of uh, I'm trying to think how to how to say this, but them being saved would be almost like the most Christian version of of this story mm -hmm. would be seeing. Maybe I'll write some fan fiction. Never done that before, <laughs> but there's no there's no orc redemption arc. Orc redemption. Um, that would be. I think kind of a, a more uh, a better analog for the truth mm -hmm. in some ways uh, seeing I guess the Luvatar becoming an orc uh, to <laughs> to save some of them uh, I mean that's <laughs> that's an image yeah it kind of I, I like it though because we we tend to think a lot more highly of ourselves than we deserve sometimes so Seeing ourselves as the orcs, I like it. Yeah, that's the tough thing with the orcs because basically after this time, there is no real elvish connection to the, to the orcs anymore. Like they're off on their own. They're not. They're not one of the peoples of Middle Earth. They're they're essentially creatures, but um, they do have life, uh, and they're not they're not a people. But you know if they hated Melkor so much, you know, you would think that they would just uh, sell him out and, and go over to his enemies. But a lot of them just, they just are, 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 have, have been made to be subservient and, and don't think, you know, even the orcs that, that we meet in, uh, in Lord of the Rings or in the Hobbit, um, you know, they speak, right. They, they, uh, but they don't think, you mm. know, they're, they're, they're all about eating and fighting and sleeping like that's about it they're they're almost kind of an animal like toolcats like toolcats <laughs> so you think that it probably should be more like rings of power where they can choose between sauron <laughs> or um i don't remember the guy's name but the that other character um uh, they, yeah orc daddy called father yeah orc daddy. <laughs> orc daddy. <laughs> i don't remember his name but Remember, yeah, they, they you come prefer up with this... rings of power. That's what I'm trying to say. Heavens, you're fired. <laughs> but, there, but there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in the Lord of the Rings, though. That like I didn't understand. You get a little bit more in the extended versions of the movies, but when you read the book, um, they're not just like mindless, like doing everything necessarily. Like they they do follow their master, kind of that out of fear, but. You've got orcs that are loyal to Saruman over Sauron, and they which fight. Have, which have been the result of of a breeding, a, a eugenics program, an orc related eugenics program. Basically, is how, is how you get the Urukai, and so the yeah. You know, the, so those guys do have a higher level of thinking. That's true. They're they're strategic and and very loyal to Saruman. Um, but even like in the tower, um, with. When they have Frodo, mm -hmm. and they start fighting over stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
they kill I just each was other kind of food. surprised reading that like oh they're not just like dumb animals yeah <laughs> they have thoughts <laughs> not a lot of thoughts but they've got thoughts <laughs> yeah they're very base thoughts not based with a d on the end like i like to say but they're they're uh, basic they're basic d-based the base the d goes to the beginning (laughs) (laughs) instead of based yeah yeah because it's all about food and and stealing and you know this all they they're they're guilty of all the seven deadly sins at at some point which is kind of like how our civilization is spiraling into Mm -hmm. right now there's a lot of orcish thinking in, in our world the orcs would definitely be on tiktok Doing dances and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or or doing mukbang videos on YouTube. <laughs> Where you like watch people eat food. Oh, you not, have the have you not seen those before? No. They're horrible to watch. Absolutely. Horrible. Why would you do that? I've watched one and I'm like, oh, never again. But it's no, the orcs, the orcs would be like the drag queens. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> There's your subtitle for the episode. Oh, Orc story hour. That's that's a meme commission if there ever was one. <laughs> I feel like I've made one of those before. I don't know. Probably have have. To go back and look. That would be a great series. At least I did in my head. Orc Queens. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, there's a very, a very short, but I think super epic paragraph I wanted, I wanted to read and we can riff on if we want. So <clears throat> well, actually I'll do the, the paragraph before as well. Arome tarried a while among the Quendi and then swiftly he rode back over land and sea to Valinor and brought the tidings to Valmar. Uh, and he spoke of the shadows that troubled Quivienan. Then the Valar rejoiced and yet they were in doubt amid their joy and they debated long what counsel it were best to take uh, for the guarding of the Quendi from the shadow of Melkor. But Arome returned at once to Middle-earth and abode with the elves because he's a Vala of principle. Uh, he's he's very devoted to the elves. Um, here, so here's the epic paragraph. Manwe sat long in thought upon Tani Quetil, and he sought the counsel of Iluvatar. So he's going, like, he's praying hard uh, about what to do. So he's he's talking to God directly about about what to do and coming then down to valmar he summoned the valar to the ring of doom uh which is which is mandos place um so they're all going to go hang out with mandos he summons the valar to the ring of doom and thither came even ulmo from the outer sea who like never goes to valinor so they're they're bringing everybody in big big old big old council uh and monway said to the valar this is the council of iluvatar in my heart that we should take up again the misery of Arda at whatsoever cost and deliver the Quendi from the shadow of Melkor. Then Tulkas was glad and Aule was grieved, foreboding the hurts of the world that must come from that strife. But the Valar made ready and came forth from Amon in strength of war, resolving to assault the fortresses of Melkor to make an end. Never did Melkor forget that this war was made for the sake of the elves and that they were the cause of his downfall. Yet they had no part in those deeds, and they know little of the writing of the might of the West against the North in the mid- in the beginning of their days. So epic. 
So they do. So they do go to war. After all, so it's unpleasant. Though it is unpleasant. And, well, yeah, they 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 rue the damage that that is going to come that they know is going mm-hmm. to come, uh, because of that strife. In in Melkor, he's so petty. Instead, he the thing he remembers is that oh, they're doing this for the elves. So I'm going to make, you know, in the future, I'm going to make sure the elves get theirs instead because he knows he doesn't have the power to actually stand up against the 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 assembled Valar who are together are stronger than him. Uh, Instead, he's going to hold it against the elves because he knows he can do something to them. So petty. What a jerk. They finally all come together to do something. This is basically like the Avengers movie. Uh, Monway gets to say Avengers Assemble Uh, and they're going to war and they are successful yeah so Tolkos for the win yeah he he, Tolkos stood forth as champion of the Valar and wrestled with him and cast him down upon his face and he was bound with the chain and Gynor, which is which is in your background there, Zach. His his famous chain and Gynor that Aule had wrought. So Aule's part of this as well. And then he led captive, and the world had peace for a long age. So Sa- Satan is bound. <laughs> Obviously, here we go. That uh, post mill. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's he a he will a be long... unbound. He, he will he will be unbound, but 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 the world had peace for a long age um which feels nice you know the way <laughs> the way it should be and they did they did accomplish the goal um because the goal was never to just like like i said last episode to eliminate him completely but um but re- to jail him and and hold him accountable for for the crimes that he'd committed up to this point he he'd committed you know much like much like how sin works, you know he had he had committed finite acts that had uh, an infinite penalty. So he he deserved to be under that chain for for the rest of eternity, um, mm-hmm. for those acts that he'd committed in in the history of Arda. And they and they had the right to hold him accountable for that, and they did, at least for now. So it it feels like a nice taste of justice, if not complete. I'm curious, Nick. Did you ever finish Paradise Lost? No, uh, I'm almost done with the preface to Paradise Lost, and but I've I've only read uh, I think four, maybe five books. Mm. Uh, there are twelve, but um, I'm gonna get back to it. I didn't finish it. I'm like half, maybe more than halfway through. But there's some stuff here that is just kind of, it rings familiar bells. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Melkor has has a personality like Milton's Satan, except that Milton's Satan is a lot more whiny. Uh, in my, <laughs> he's like, oh, everything's so bad. Uh, which I don't know why people love him so much. Um, he kind of seems like a whiny loser to me. 
<laughs> maybe that's just me sounding Man, like you Donald with the Trump hot or takes something. this episode my goodness <laughs> satan is a yeah. whiny loser yeah <laughs> uh but melkor actually seems to me a lot uh i'm not gonna say more noble but he seems less whiny um he just does his things it almost seems like uh he's he's more evil than Milton Satan. He has a strength yeah. of character, but it's bad character. You know, he has the strength yes. of evil character. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's the best way to put it. Um, Just like he like so he like he endures the captivity for a while and then he sues for pardon. Like obviously I've served some time here, you know. I <laughs> I, I I did I did my time. Uh I'm a, I please i'd like to you know to be put on parole basically uh yeah and milton satan he's like cast out of heaven and he's like all right boys what are we gonna do this ain't you fair <laughs> this isn't fair uh <laughs> and he's whiner it's because so. he's he didn't have he didn't get his heart broke about not getting bardo so he's not sure what to be mad at he's he got to be mad at him. a lot of things It's always about a girl. <laughs> um, go ahead. What were you gonna say, Zach? No. <laughs> um. So I, I really, I want, I want to make sure we get to um, the 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 what what is called the sundering of the elves, uh, because this is the part that I mentioned that I think uh makes a lot of people quit the book, but when they're reading it, they're like, ah, oh, too many too many ways uh this is this is over um so there's there's this invitation uh this summons to the elves to come to valinor so so now that the threat of 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 melkor is gone uh the valar want to get get more face time uh with the elves and so arome kind of rides about and and brings the summons to the quendi um come to valinor and uh and and be with the Valar. Uh, and, and this is where we kind of see some of the, the free agency of the children of Iluvatar come out um, because there's there at, at right here at the very beginning of things there, there is a division among, among the children. Um, so they're, they're initially split between three, three big leaders, Ingwei, Finway and Elway um, who were all, it says we're all swayed by the words of their lords and we're willing to depart and follow Arome. Uh, these were known as the Eldar. So the elves that go to Valinor are referred to as Eldar. The, they'll have some other names as well. Uh, but I know sometimes we're tempted to use the word Eldar to refer to all elves. But technically it's only for elves that went to Valinor um, through this summons. And there were others that were that that refused and didn't go. Um, so the Eldar prepared now a great march uh, from their first homes in the east, and they were arrayed in three hosts. The smallest host and the first to set forth was led by Ingwe, the most high lord of all the elvish race. He entered into Valinor and sits at the feet of the powers, and all elves revere his name. But he never came back, nor looked again upon Middle-earth. And so his people are called the Vanyar, um, the fair elves, uh, the beloved of Manwe and Varda. 
and few among men have spoken with them because they never came back to Middle Earth. So they, they basically were so happy to go that they that they just stayed um, and uh, and really were were pretty much divorced from the life of Middle Earth, um, which I've always had issue with these elves because it, it seems like they are um, they're subverting the will of Iluvatar because the, the elves are made to be in Middle Earth. I mean, I'm sure they'd have a great time in Valinor, but it, it doesn't seem like that's the purpose of the elves. I don't know. Did that did that idea strike anybody else, or is that just me? I thought about it. Like, mm -hmm. if if <laughs> I mean, if you meet an angel, and he's like, I've got a message from God. Like, I mean, I what's to say that it isn't, uh, <laughs> you know, not the right thing, mm -hmm. uh, or you know, that it is actually a message from god and so in this sense you know thinking of them as being kind of like proxies for angels there mm -hmm. you know maybe they're wrong on that uh they don't have as much direct access i guess but mm -hmm. um maybe they loved the elves too much and they wanted them to be with them rather than doing their doing what the music set out for them to do goes back to my parents thing yeah, and being kind of like parents. They're the uh, helicopter parents, right? The helicopter parents. <laughs> and I and I'm sure it's it's a great time. You know, there's no there's no threats to them. Um, Melkor is chained up. Granted, ironically, he's he's chained up in Valinor, so they're actually closer to Morgoth right now than they would have been if they stayed in Middle Earth. But, um, but it's a beautiful place. Um, uh, all the powers are there. Uh, they're they're getting kind of face to face uh, interaction with 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 these uh, heavenly beings on a regular basis. So it, it would have its appeal, but it just seems like it's it wasn't the defined will uh, for 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 the elves, and and that's probably why the smallest number of them stayed. You know the the aberration. If it's an aberration, the aberration was a small one. Um, and the and the rest that and also the those that remain. The, those that stayed in Valinor are a small number. The ones that never came to Valinor are, are a smaller number. Um, of course, larger than them, but um, a great many of the elves went to Valinor and came back having seen the light of the trees. Um, this part just struck me a lot of like a Tower of Babel-less Babel mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've got the three kind of leaders. You got Shem, Ham, yeah. Japheth. So you've got you know those three kind of not really like in the same way, mm -hmm. you know, genealogy wise, but mm -hmm. they do kind of represent those heads of the different groups, and then just the dispersing of the elves throughout the land, and kind of explaining how they spread which is kind of what you get, you know, because you're getting that you had these original elves here and then they're being moved, but as they go, they spread. And then that creates mm -hmm. more in stories later to come mm -hmm. and adds, I think, a good kind of realistic depth. Like if Tolkien's really going for, you know, an alternative myth history origin for 
the UK and Europe, um, you're going to have to explain where different people groups mm -hmm. come from. And why so many so. of their languages are, are similar to each other because they yeah. started out with a, a common language split and then they, those languages then evolved or, or maybe devolved as they lived in isolated community over time. Right. Yeah. And, and just like the varying like waves of, of um, migration and, and stuff like that as well. You, you see that throughout the story. And, and eventual intermarriage as well. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, there's, it's really tough to find an elf that is purely of one clan of elves. Because uh, there ended up fin eventually being so much intermarriage. You know, that's the that's the story of Gladriel and, and especially of uh, Elrond, too, where literally like the blood, <laughs> the blood of all the free peoples of Middle Earth flow in Elrond's veins, both of, <laughs> of men and elves uh, and of several clans of elves and all the major clans of men are all pumping through his his half elven heart. Um, Galadriel is basically a princess of elves. Because all like she she comes from all the major later houses of the elves, um, mm. and actually one of one of the nice things for for this is uh, is having a paper copy of the Silmarillion, which is the best decision you can make. But there is a really helpful graph uh, in in the back of of the families. So you know, there's one for there's one for Finway here. Um, there's one for uh, Olway. Um, and then one for, uh, well, Bayor the old, but, um, Finway and, or I'm sorry, Olway and Olway and Elway are on the same, uh, are on the same page and, and you go through there and you can see all the, all the important names, um, that, that we're going to read, not only in the Silmarillion, but uh, even of people that we know of in, um, in, in Lord of the Rings as well. Um, you know, so you see Galadriel in there. Baron and Luthien, uh, Thingol and Melian. Um, and we see the family tree that eventually leads to uh, Elrond and, and Elros, um, which, by the way, so this this graph is proving the, the, the angry message that I had against Rings of Power, where um, <laughs> why are Elrond and Galadriel like equals and friends when she is his mother-in-law? Like he marries her daughter, Calebrion, um, who is a, a tragic figure herself. Or Calibrian, but um, so anyway, these these family trees in the back are are really helpful because um, I know uh, I I know I've talked to people that were like I stopped understanding the Silmarillion once we got all of these elves that have that all their names start with the same letter or end with the same letter and they all blend into one, um, but they 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 actually have really interesting histories and if, and if you if you use those those helps that are in the back of the book, it makes it a lot more understandable. It would be nice to know which ones fall in some of the lesser, like, like the elves from the Hobbit. Mm -hmm. Where do they fall in on this? You know, like the, it would be kind of nice to know, like, if you if there was a little aside, like, hey, these are the these are the ones that live in the forest in the Hobbit, um, or or something like that. You know, it, I think part of it is that all almost all of these words are not really seen very much in. Yeah. Lord of the Rings or in uh, The Hobbit. I'm glad we're, you say so. The, because there's the a, Mirkwood elves, like, they were the ones that stayed behind, right? Yeah. The, well, there's a graph in here for the Quendi. And so, uh, so the the Sindar are the Grey Elves. 
they are part of of the uh, of the Eldar who did go to Valinor, um, but they live in in the woods. Uh, so these are um, there are they well I'm sorry it's it's more complicated than that. They're part of the Teleri. Uh, so there's the Vanyar, the ones that stayed. That's Ingwe's crowd. Then there are the Noldor, which is always crowd. And then the Teleri are Elway's crowd. Some of them went to Valinor. Some of the Teleri did. Some of them stayed. One of the groups of those of the Teleri that stayed and did not see the light um, and stayed in Beleriand are the Sindar, which are the gray elves are the, the woods living elves. So um, Legolas and his dad, the elves of Mirkwood, um, all those group are are Teleri elves. Uh, a subset of Teleri elves called the Sindar, which their language is the primary spoken and written elven language after Thingol bars uh, Quenya that um, that uh, is a Noldorian uh, a, a Noldoran um, development. Actually, that um, um, that what's what's his face. Uh, who made the Silmarils came up with the language. Why am I blanking Feanor. on his name? Feanor. Feanor. There we go. Yeah. Feanor made up that language. And after he, after he did some of his uh, egregious sins, uh, King Thingol banned his language. And so Sindarin became the primary uh, written and, and spoken language in Elvendom. But man, this, this uh, for this chapter, especially in the back of, in the back of the Silmarillion, this, this Quendi, map uh chart is so so helpful and if you know if you know like of an elf from from later work that you you know what what clan they come from you can map it all out right there and tell if, if their people saw the light of the trees or not so good so helpful uh and and so it's those it's those avari elves the ones that that never went to Valinor that refused the initial call. So there were, there were elves that, that, um, that listened to the call. And like you were saying, Maddie, and on the way moving out, they stopped and stayed. Um, which again, that's that it reminds me of, uh, of, um, uh, Oh gosh, the guys, uh, in, in the, in the biblical story where they're just like, Oh yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna stop here and live. We're not, we're not gonna like Abraham. Like his dad, when he gets called out of like, he gets called out of the uh, Ur of Chaldees, and they just like stop He's like halfway on his way uh, to Canaan. Yeah, I'm gonna stop right here. We'll live here, and our people will live here. Uh, but you go, you go on, you go on to Canaan. <laughs> you know, the, it's a very similar thing, except two or three groups do this over the course of that of that trip uh, toward Valinor. Um, and so that's why that those uh, those Mori the Mori Quendi elves, including the um, the Avari, and then the that the two other subsets of of Teleri who never made it to Valinor. They're all spread in different areas because it's this Tower of Babel effect that the the children, the children of Iluvatar are going to spread across across uh, Middle Earth, um, whether they go to Valinor or not. So, <laughs> in some ways, I think the uh, the Cinderin elves may be more in line with the music of Iluvatar than the Vanyar were who stayed in Valinor and never even thought about Middle Earth again. Yeah. That, that's my hot take on, on that. <laughs> I like too that the Sindar 
they kind of remind me more of like a Rome. Yeah, because oh, yeah. it is, you know, they're very in touch with the the wilderness yep. and the woods. Hunting with bows. Yeah. They know how to ride horses. Which not not all elves ride horses. Um, but Cinder and elves definitely do. Mm-hmm. And there are elves too, which I think is also interesting. Um I I look them up. The um there's there's particular elves that love to sail and they're ones that didn't go i think they were some of the sea elves i think they were some of the teleri they stopped i thought at at the water yeah they said they were yeah we'll come and they're like actually we're gonna hang out here we'd rather boat through middle earth than 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 go all the way to valinor but eventually they do get brought over some of them do yeah there and i i believe if if i'm remembering oh, right no. their their leader is uh um kirden the shipwright who's one of the oldest elves in middle earth uh, mm-hmm. who basically lives at the gray havens there at, at the edge of the world and ferries people across to valinor in later times but he's seen the light of the trees he's also the only uh elf with a beard which is pretty dope He's the manliest elf. The manliest elf. The Calvinist elf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so old and wise. Well, he's he's a ring bearer. In fact, uh, he gives his ring to Gandalf. Spoiler. <laughs> I'm just full of spoilers, man. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, we're, we're, going, <laughs> we're going through this what? so slow. So that slow. You, you could have read this like 15 times by now. Yeah. So... Yeah. What We're just going to have to not apologize for spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't read the five pages of the chapters before we've spoken them, then I'm sorry. And and appeal to all those charts in the back, because for, you know, for those of us, well, especially Zach, for you, uh, you know, the, the charts in the back of the Brandon Sanderson books are so important to understanding the story and making sure that, that you know what's going on. <laughs> it's the same for, for the Silmarillion, just way <laughs> shorter and more concise. <laughs> and I, I think, too, just knowing that it's okay to read something and not understand it the first time yeah. completely. I mean, you're going to understand. It's not like you're going to understand nothing. It's in, generally in English. Mm-hmm. Some of Talking it's to you, Nick. You'll understand the words, but you may not get the significance, especially how it fits in with the rest of the of the legendarium. Second or third read is when it started clicking for me. Yeah. I basically read it the first time for the names and who the people were and then yeah. started fitting the pieces together. And then you could start to see the significance of the passage of time yes. in what you were reading. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself, Zach. <laughs> Wise words. That's what I'm here for. I have no other powerful thoughts to share. Does anyone else any any kind of final thoughts of the chapter itself? I I, I enjoy. I really enjoyed considering the uh, the Tower of Babel aspect because uh, I mm-hmm. think that's definitely in the background of the of the sundering of the elves here. I think Daddy kept yeah. on bring this chapter to Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> it is really funny that the the like creation 
Garden of Eden story of of Middle Earth is taking forever to play out. Yes. Yeah. Ages. Ages. I think it's it's interesting to me too because it feels like it's like the creation story like processed and reprocessed and then processed and then reprocessed again and again because it's I mean obviously Tolkien does know Genesis but he's also super familiar with a whole myriad of myths and, and histories and stuff like that and then he creates his own so he's like kind of taking all these elements and kind of doing them all together but um that's something that's been just really fun for me like even reading this other book the lawhead book Mm -hmm. um just really contemplating how the mythologies came about and and knowing that you know believing that genesis is absolutely the true history of humanity that these people that spread from babel you know they carried Mm -hmm. with them some version of that story that you know evolved and changed over time as they shared and told tales and it and you kind of re-encounter those same stories and elements in different ways and it's just it's really fun to contemplate and i f- i feel like well i probably know but i can't say no because i don't know <laughs> um that tolkien thought a lot about that you know just yeah. the spread of ideas and and just how all that came about and you see that in here he he lived like mentally in so many so many places and times all at once like he's a modern guy who is thoroughly medieval he's an englishman who's like thoroughly norse uh he's a he's a christian uh but but the the word stew i think is a really good word because we've got the christian worldview but stewed in among these elements of, of, um, of fantasy and lore and, uh, you know, global thought <laughs> um, that that are all coming together in this one very unique uh, story that 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 nobody's been able to surpass in a literary way. Yeah, just completely unique, um, and it never gets old for me. Love it. <laughs> well it's been great thank you guys very much again for uh for your wonderful insights i always enjoy these episodes and i hope our audience does as well um be sure to check out the show notes for uh for links especially to the uh the reading challenge and uh if you're if you're running behind it's fine there's plenty more time to go uh but but come read along with us and uh and continue reading the silmarillion and using <laughs> using those uh charts and graphs in the back uh Go dispensational on them. It's all about charts and graphs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and until next time, may Monway keep you in the one and peace out.